Howdy folks out there, it's Steve from Bleep here, filling in for the DM who's off on international travels for the Role Playing Hour, gathering more and a wonderful story and materials for the future episodes of his show. And tonight we've got something a little bit special. I'm going to be presenting a lot of the interviews that he and a few other members of the Role Playing Hour team grabbed during Supernova. And we're going to start off with the first one here is uh, the DM going up to one of the uh, nearby stalls and looking into buying a corset. Hmm. Now I'll just have to lower my voice a little here, but um, do you think you could sell anything for uh, a, a friend of mine who's a man and is interested in reducing the size of his paunch? Funny you say that, because we had a couple of gents earlier on and they actually purchased corsets and walked away quite happy. So uh, you think I could be svelte again, and I could then be smooth and young again, like I am in my dream? With a wonderful posture, yes, absolutely. Uh, it won't hurt? My internal organs won't be damaged or anything like that? No, no. It's handy too because I have actually, I've reached the stage where when I run, my boobs are starting to wobble up and down, so if you do have something in a, in a, in a large enough cup size for me as well, that would actually be helpful on, on many levels. We sell up to double XL, so I'm sure we could accommodate. Yeah, so if I, do, if I buy a corset and then find somewhere that sells a convincing wig, I'm set. It's like I am in my dreams again, running young through the fields. And we've also got coloured contact lenses to, to finish off your outfit. So you could buy your corset and buy your eyes and you're set to go. And cheaper than plastic surgery. Absolutely. Thank you very much, ma'am. Have a good time at the convention. Thank you. Hmm, the DM in a corset. That's pretty hot. The DM in a corset with his big old man boobs bouncing around, that's almost completely irresistible. Mm. But it wasn't just the DM romping around the uh, Supernova convention. Uh, on the second day, it was also uh, Keith and Jim who went around and chatted with a few other people and had a look at the local sites. So here's one from them. Mm. Auto guns for 180 bucks. That's pretty, uh, pretty cheap for that level of technology. It really is. That would make going to the bathroom at night so much easier. Oh, so awesome. And going clubbing, you could like just fire one at your bedroom at home, then dance till you drop and fall into your bed. <laughs> Keith, you think of things way too seriously sometimes. <laughs> well, we're standing outside yet another booth with a bunch of Doctor Who stuff, which is awesome. Absolutely awesome. Uh, the Tom Baker model taking central pride of place, which is fantastic. And I get, we can see a bunch of different sonic screwdrivers and stuff like that. I always thought there was only uh, one and the doctor had it, but you can apparently buy them here quite cheap. Yeah, I know. It's, it's that level of technology, again, so cheap. They must be, I don't know how they're getting all their goods here. Must be stolen or something. It is amazing. Sonic screwdrivers, portal guns. Wow. I might buy that three-pack of sonic screwdrivers for Wilma. <laughs> she can't use them as a sonic screwdriver. She can at least use them for something else. The three pack of sonic screwdrivers. That's that's awesome. So you'd have like your Phillips head sonic screwdriver, your flat blade. I'm not sure what the other one would be. Yeah, Keith's not bright. But interestingly, they did uh, have a little comment in there asking how they actually managed to get some of this stuff in. And in the next clip, we even answer some of that. How cool is that? So enjoy this one. I'm here with a quirky stylin, and they sell tails and all sorts of things. What is, how's business been today, ma'am? Um, it's been pretty slow, but it's starting to get steady and, and build up a little bit more. I think it's mainly because everyone wants to go and see Spike from Buffy. Uh, and a lot of people seem to have brought their own tales already. They came pre-prepared. 
They did, but people are still looking at the ears. People always forget the ears. What, what is the most quirky stylum that you have on offer here today, the ultimate quirk? Um, probably steel bone corsets. I mean, who, who wants a normal size waist when you can have an 18 inch one? I've actually been looking into that myself because I've reached the point in a man's life when he starts to notice his breasts bouncing up and down when he runs and I would kind of like a corset to reduce the size of my paunch. Do you have anything that could subtly, uh, on a man, um, you know, add that extra level of svelteness so that I could be like the young 14-year-old boy hipped man of my dreams? <laughs> well, we could get you a Zap Brannigan style girdle. That would hold everything in for you. That's not quirky, that's beautiful styling. That's the styling of my dreams. Um, oh, I don't know what to say after that. Um, and we have some goggles. Keith, are you tempted by anything here? Oh, absolutely. I can see some very weird eyewear up here that looks like it would uh, definitely get attention on the street, particularly if the police were looking for you. But is it easy to get this stuff past customs? Um, well, you would need to talk to uh, smugglers. Uh, a lot of them don't make it alive. We still manage to get it out of them. It would be difficult to swallow an entire steel girdle in a condom and then regurgitate it when you cross the border. Well, it's either swallowing or the other way. Yeah. There you go. We have an official from Quirky Style and all of their stuff fresh from the a-hole of smugglers. <laughs> Thank you very much, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you. Have a lovely day. Is there a better way to get these things? You know? <laughs> I mean, no, it was uh, wonderful seeing all the people walking around in their costumes of all their favourite characters and all that, and they'd put in so much effort into their costumes, and uh, it's nice to know that the sacrifice of those smugglers who had their buttholes ringed out by uh, by <laughs> carrying strange pieces of costumery into the country did not die in vain. Excellent. So we have uh, uh, another quick one here. This one should be well known to all of our audience, I think. He's a certain fellow about six foot four with a bit of a hair problem who was uh, very famous in the 70s and I think made a bit of a comeback in uh, in the last decade or so. So uh, enjoy this one. See if you can spot who the DM is interviewing here. Now I'm standing here with Mr. Chewbacca. Hello, Mr. Chewbacca. Oh, there we go. Um, you're Han Solo's best friend. You're palling around. It's an entirely positive relationship, right? Because to me, it looks a bit unequal. There's a bit of inequality there. Are you an indentured servant or anything like that? Because, you know, I've heard that there are places in the universe where Wookiees have been promised work, perhaps on uh, Millennium Falcon or something like that. They've arrived there. Their passports have been stolen. Sometimes they've been forced to dance in erotic bars. Uh, has that happened to you? He's, he's shaking his head, it hasn't... You know, you can just pass me a note if you can't say anything. You can pass me a secret note with help written on it or something like that. Thank you, Mr. Chewbacca, sir. It's a very multi-purpose language. That one, that, one, that one sound effect can mean many things. Thank you very much. Uh, it's the plight of enslaved and ensnared Wookiees. It's a horrible thing when they're, when they're put to work in those mines with no hope of escape. At all. In fact, after a while uh, of doing such strenuous work, they actually start to shrink, and that's where Ewoks come from. Hmm. Bet you didn't know that. Little little piece of information there from the role-playing hour to all of you. 
Yes, the more you know. So we're going to jump over into our our first big celebrity interview. We did get a few uh, while we were away at the weekend. Yes, I've already broken character. I am Steve from Bleep, but I'm also Keith from the role-playing hour. But, uh, you know, I I just decided to go with Steve so I could speak normally, really, like I speak normally. But, uh, yes, we we did get uh, a few uh, fairly major celebrity interviews while we were out there chatting with the, you know, Hobnobbing. Hobnobbing is really what we were doing. Hobnobbing with the rich and famous. And uh, we have got the first one coming up for you right now. Now, you might uh, have heard this uh, last week, played over Radio Adelaide, because, of course, we brought in a few of the interviews to help promote the event. That's how we get the interviews. We go in and say, give us the interviews and we will help promote your event. And the promoters go, yay, here, have these interviews. So, you know, it's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, here's the here's the first of the really big ones that we got for the weekend. Mm. Hello, and I'm here with Mr. Luke Perry. Hello, Mr. Luke. Hello, sir. Now, uh, you've been in uh, many things over the years. You've been, you, uh, you were in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. You're in Oz. Um, you're in Fifth Element. John from Cincinnati. All sorts of things. What can people look for you coming up in next? Uh, next, I w- would say that they would find me on the stage, most likely. I think I'm headed off to London in January. Uh, so we'd have to get the long-distance flight then? Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Um, but of course, and maybe you're sick of hearing about it, but you're very famous for Beverly Hills 90210. Um, and there must be a lot of fans from Bev- of that, uh, that show coming up to you at these conventions. I, I have met quite a few people today who, who claim to be fans of that show. And it was, it's, it's always been very nice. Um, uh, see, because the, the Beverly Hills 90210 version of high school life, of young person life, was not completely like the version I experienced myself. Um, I was just wondering if there was ever, uh, it was the, the idea was ever floated of a Beverly Hills 90210 episode where they played Dungeons and Dragons in the library maybe, and you know, maybe Brandon and Dylan got into a dispute over who ha- had the 20-sided die, and then Brenda was playing a necromancer and they couldn't... We did have one with Brenda as the necromancer. Now that sounds familiar to me. The 20-sided die, no, definitely not. We were straight up six-side die people, just plain. But uh, the necromancing, that sounds familiar. Yeah, because my, yeah, I, I, I remember high school as being a very uh, crushing experience, lots of heads in toilets and things like that. But uh, so it was nice, the escape towards uh, obviously things are nice in Beverly Hills, people are more humanitarian. They were, but you know anybody that's in high school and's putting anybody's head in the toilet, don't do that. High school's tough enough, right? It's just tough in general. If somebody starts putting your head down in the toilet, it's worse. If you can hear my voice and you're thinking about putting someone's head in the toilet, don't do it. You've heard it. You've heard the community announcement from Mr. Luke Perry himself, don't put the head in the toilet. You've appeared on a lot of comedy uh, shows as well. You've been on uh, like Family Guy, for example, The Simpsons. Um, uh, do you enjoy comedy work is it, is it something you'd like to get more into or it's just fun to sometimes play off your reputation it's fun to sometimes do i like to uh, i like to do comedy you know the the animation stuff uh, animation is its own kind of world and you can always tell different kind of jokes there and have a lot more fun i enjoyed uh, the simpsons for sure now there's one more day of uh, supernova and uh, we want more people to come down on sunday um wh- why should people come down to supernova why should they be getting down here tomorrow sunday well there's fantastic stuff to see you know uh, a lot of people from from the whedon verse uh people from buffy are down here you can see malcolm jamal warner topless if you want to come down here he's going to be doing a bit of a dance tomorrow so it should be interesting and um, for all the uh, the female fans who grew up on 90210, is there a chance that across a crowded supernova floor they might get a wink 
from Luke Perry. Is that at all possible? I think there's a very good chance. Very good. You've heard it here first, ladies. There's a very good chance. Yes. They have a weapons check encounter in the next room um, for the uh, anime cosplayers. Did you have to check in your wink? Because I'm sure you wink sometimes. It's lethal. People are melting falling to the floor. They, they make me wear an eye patch. They do, yes. That's that dangerous. It's at the weapon. So, so if you come down, that's how you'll know me. I'm the one with the eye patch. Luke Perry with an eye patch at Supernova. You've heard it here first, folks. Thank you very much, Mr. Luke. Total pleasure, gentlemen. Luke Perry, he's so dreamy. <laughs> no, it was actually really cool meeting him. He is a really nice and really funny guy, which is amazing because I hated his guts when I was a kid and he was on Beverly Hills 90210, of course. A pretty boy who's out there doing well and making lots of money. Of, of course, I'm going to hate him. It's, 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 it's detestable jealousy. Yes, naturally. All right. Uh, so speaking of uh, detestable jealousy, there were, uh, as I have already mentioned, a lot of extremely attractive people in wonderful costumes that they'd put a lot of work into. And clearly, they felt that they looked uh, looked pretty darn good. And to be honest, they did. So on to our next section of tonight from the Supernova Clips. And we've got a bit of a Doctor Who theme for this middle bit here, because the DM, of course, is a huge Doctor Who fan. Uh, Yes. So um, uh, he he was incredibly happy to meet one of his uh, childhood heroes. But we're not going to start off with that one, of course. We're going to start off with an alien that he met out in the hall. Uh, there's a there's a Dalek here. Hello, Mr. Dalek. Would you like to speak to Radio Adelaide? Hello, Radio Adelaide. How are things? Now, uh... Uh, for the K-led mutant, what is it like? Um, I mean, because you know, of course, that Davros's first plan was to make giant rubbery clams. How does it feel being a second child and knowing that you are less loved than a clam? The clam was a great idea. I still like it. Sometimes the Daleks climb out and get in their clam shells and just hang on Scarrow. So I thought the dialects were full of hate, but there is actually there's a one they have a, some brotherly love there between you and the clam. That's beautiful. Every Sunday we sit about and have games, board games and word games. Enormous fun. Davros is not invited. Oh really? So there have been there's been some Christmases are uh, awkward there on Scarrow. He cheats. He has an arm. He can move the pieces. We never play Monopoly with him. I guess because it's, it's, a, it's a bit like a disability, isn't it, having a plunger arm? Um, is there a way that we could raise awareness for your uh, plight, your plunger arm? Would you prefer a hook? Would you could prefer games with larger pieces? Games like Monopoly, we always knock over the board. And how are we supposed to exterminate the other players? Is there anyone you'd like to exterminate here today? There is a... Uh, Fraser Hines is here. Fraser Hines is a known associate of the Doctor. He must be exterminated! 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 Yes, Fraser Hines coming up a little later in this section, of course. If you don't know who he is, go look him up. He's, uh, he's one of the big Doctor Who celebrities, yes. But that's not all we've got for the Doctor Who section. There was also a clip from the second day when Jim and Keith found one of the universe's greatest villains standing next to one of the universe's greatest heroes, and they were apparently getting along fine. So we are here in the corner at uh, the Thibberton Senior College. Thibberton Senior College have made a magnificent little TARDIS and, and uh, we've got uh, uh, the master here, the old school master, putting on his leather gloves. I'm just going to take a step back right about now. And, uh, and, uh, and, and Captain Jack, 
Yes, yeah, so, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't really watch Torchwood, so that was a really lucky stab in the dark there. Oh, quite. You'll be getting from me soon. <laughs> Oh God, <laughs> I'm very, very frightened. Uh, so um, that that is a uh, most excellent TARDIS you've got there. Is it operational? Um, I'm afraid it's out of fuel at the moment. Oh, of course, of course. Does it perhaps take dilithium crystals? Yes, but you have to reverse the polarity. This man knows his trek. All right. The Master Watcher's trek. We have uh, big news for you here on Radio Adelaide. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So, uh, maybe Captain Jack, you're standing awfully close to the Master and looking quite comfortable in his presence. Is there perhaps an underground alliance that you want to make people aware of around now? No, but he can't hurt me. Well, that is true. <laughs> it's one of the advantages of being immortal and invulnerable. Uh, oh, bro fist. Bro fist between the Master and the Captain. That's awesome. Good I mean, stuff, good stuff. Do anybody, so. <laughs> That's true, that's true. Actually, isn't your boyfriend like sitting about, you know, 200 meters that way? Giving him a bit of space. Oh, <laughs> Actually, you're scoping out everybody else, aren't you? time and space. Ah, 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 ah. That's pretty good. So, you're here from uh, Thebran uh, College. You're members of the college making this display? Well, I'm actually a teacher at Thebby. Uh, Jack here is a student. Um, we've got uh, four students, two staff at the moment. We've come to advertise our courses. Right, right, awesome. In time travel, I presume. Uh, well, that's right. In uh, advanced time relative studies. That sounded good, didn't it? Transdimensional construction. Transdimensional construction. Big words. Big words. I'll have to look them up later so I know what you said. Comparative alternate history. Parallel history. Parallel history. Very good. They're rapidly going over my head. This is what you get for talking to academics. I don't understand what they're saying. All right, awesome. Uh, so we, we uh, do have a very limited amount of time, so we have to bugger off almost immediately. But thank you very much for talking to us. We hope uh, a lot of people come along uh, to Supernova to check out the Thebiton Senior College display, which is awesome. You look like a magnificent master. I really am a little bit scared. So I'm glad to hear it, because you should be. Yeah, I'm going to run away now. Okay, thanks, uh, thanks, Captain Jack. See ya. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye. God, what it was. Anyway, without further ado, let's move on to the big, big, big interview from this section. Mr. Fraser Hines, one of the, the longest running Doctor Who companion in all of history. So uh, the DM was, um, was a very happy boy with this one. Hello, I'm here with Mr. Fraser Hines, who's very famous for playing Jamie in uh, Doctor Who. Hello, Mr. Fraser. Well, hello then. Hello to all your listeners as well. Uh, we've had Colin Baker on the show before, and so now we've got one of the other members of uh, the Two Doctors episode soon. And Colin's in the jungle at the moment, <laughs> and I'm a celebrity. He always said he'd never do it, because he said, Fraser, you and I are not celebrities. We're actors, darling. We'll never do that. So he's taking the king shilling. I saw a, a slightly cruel rumor on Twitter that um, he was maybe doing it to try to lose weight for a possible 50th anniversary appearance in Doctor Who. That's a possible, yeah, that is it, because he could do with losing a couple of stone. Um, and uh, now, uh, I, I understand that you're one of the um, companions who's appeared in the most episodes, is that true? I'm the longest-running companion. In fact, two years ago, a friend of mine, David J. Howe, the writer, he gave me the Guinness Book of Records for a, birth, uh, for a Christmas present, and I opened it, and he said, look at page 172 or whatever, and there I, I'm in, and it was about a week later, I thought, actually, it hit me, yeah, I'm in the Guinness Book of Records. Not, not everybody can get into the Guinness Book of Records, but I am. I mean, it's hard. Uh, as an interviewer, it's difficult because, of course, um, I've got my shelf is full of Doctor Who DVDs. I've watched all the special features. Oh, um, it's many. Uh, I've 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 seen answers to many questions already. And of course, you're talking about something that happened um, a while ago in your own life. Um, 
does it get uh, <laughs> difficult to answer some of the questions, the same old questions about Jamie again and again? No, I, I love talking about Jamie. I love talking about Patrick Troughton because I, I always said I had three of the happiest years of my life working with Patrick in my career. Loved, and I love talking. You like, one likes to talk about good times. I can say uh, it's going to sound like sucking up, but I can say honestly that my favorite TARDIS ensemble was you, Patrick Troughton, and Wendy Padbury, just because I think there was a really good vibe there. It was like she was a bit like the clucky mother, um, and then you were like kind of the son, and Patrick Troughton was like the dad who wanted to be the son kind of thing. And there's a real, you can see the rapport and the friendliness. Oh, there was definitely, and of course, Wendy wore those very, very short skirts in the Crotons and the um, Seeds of Death. So it was, she was great fun to work with. And the famous cat suit on the TARDIS console in the... Oh, everybody remembers her little bum going around. Oh, they do, yeah, everybody loves that shot. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I, I hear she doesn't do conventions so much anymore. It's probably just because of that question, I bet. She, uh, no, she still looks the same. She, she, she's got blonde hair now, but she's still small and cute. She lives in France. She's retired. But she comes across to England quite a bit to do these big finish with me. You know, I, I play Patrick and Jamie, and she does her little Zoe. It took you a while, but you finally got into the big finish. Yeah, uh, I, I, at one point I thought I'm the only Doctor Who actor that's never done a big finish, and uh, I kept mithering them, and uh, I think it was Gary Russell. He said, no, no, I, I don't like mixing companions. And I said, but Gary, I, I work with Colin Baker in The Two Doctors. And then Gary left, and the minute he left, I got a phone call from Big Finish. So I, I teased Gary about it a lot. I said, you never employed me for Big Finish. Yeah, because you were, you were in The Five Doctors, you were in... Um, uh, Two doctors, yeah. and uh, of course, then longest-running companion as well. So you can you can you can uh, compare notes on all the different doctor styles much more than. Oh, oh yeah, I mean Colin Bacon and I, we did get on very well together when we were doing the two doctors in Seville. You know, we were filming. We we'd known each other a long, long time. In fact, we actually shared a girlfriend. You know, not not together at the same time. But uh, I went out with a lovely actress called Lisa Goddard, and then uh, I think he married her or lived with her for a long while as well. Um, and of course, unfortunately, so many of your episodes have been lost. Um, uh, you've done a lot of linking narrations for the audio versions. That's right, I've done a lot of those, but we were talking the other day about that, and there's, actually there's, I think, seven or maybe eight complete storage, which is a lot more than, than you, you, you would think. I thought, you know, I did it for three years, uh, forgetting the five Doctors and the two Doctors, but there's the, the mo these, uh, yeah, there's seven complete stories that I did. And they're, uh, they're uh, like the invasion was recently um, animated. animated. Yeah, that's right. And I believe they're doing the uh, Ice Warrior one as well. The BBC at the moment, if, if there's two episodes missing out of six, they'll do the animation. If there's two missing out of four, they're not so keen to do 50%. But I think they realise that actually the fans will, will buy you know, the, the old classic Doctor Who's, even if two of the episodes are animated. I think, yeah, I mean, the Doctor Who fans are nothing if not completists. Um, and it, it must warm your heart to see <laughs> them animating your kilt like it was back in the day. Oh, yeah, well, when we did the invasion, of course, we did the, the commentary. And, of course, a little drawing of, we, uh, of Wendy and um, Brigadier said, Oh, look, you can still see your little knickers as well. They, they've drawn her little short knickers in as well. That was Nicholas Courtney, lovely man. He was great, the, the Brigadier. Um, what are your feelings on the notorious idea of the, well not, I don't know, notorious, but season 6B, that there must have been a secret, because you had quite a tragic ending, Jamie had quite a tragic ending, in that his memory was wiped at the end of the War Games. Well, yeah, you, now you say that, but if you watch the War Games again, I, I point this out, Patrick says to the Time Lord, will they forget me? And they say, no. He said to the Doctor, he'll remember his first story with you. Now, my first story was the Highlanders. And at the end of the Highlanders, I got into the TARDIS. 
So I remember getting into this spaceship, the Blue Box TARDIS. I, w I wouldn't remember Victoria or Zoe or the Brigadier, as we saw in The Five Doctors, but no, I'd remember getting into the TARDIS. Um, uh, uh, and Patrick Troughton, obviously, I mean, I, it, what a, what a, if you had a memory that summed up Patrick Troughton for everyone oh. as the 50th anniversary approaches? He was a lovely man, uh, gr great eccentric, great fun, and no starring bits. You know, if I had an idea for a scene, he wouldn't go, look, you're just the companion, I'm the doctor. He would actually say, Fraser, quick, put his hand up. You know, Fraser's got an idea, we're going to do this or that. Lovely, lovely man. I think Jamie was, it was a bit more, um, uh, it, compared to the male companions in modern Doctor Who, Jamie was a bit more get up and go. He had a bit more oomph. These days they seem a bit kind of ineffectual. Do you have any feelings on that? Yeah, in fact, J Jamie, uh, and I've just done a show with Louise Jameson, her character and mine were the only two to carry weapons, when you think about it, Leela and Jamie, and, you know, and allowed to draw them. So, to, you know, you know, Jamie had his, his dirk and he threw it a couple of times and stabbed people with it. So, yeah, you, companions don't do that now. Yeah, the, ma the male companions are usually just there because of their girlfriends and then they're getting in trouble all the time. And yeah, I, I think because you've been the longest running when the 50th anniversary comes up, there's the obvious question, which I guess you're probably not allowed to answer even if you do know anything. No, I, I'm, I'm still waiting for the phone call from Mr. Moffat. I haven't, haven't had it yet. I, and he, he knows that I'd love to do it, obviously. And the fans would love me to do it too. Um, one last question. When you go up to Scotland, <laughs> what sort of reaction do you... Are the Scots proud to see that you... Um, uh, no, because they've forgotten. I mean, the, I, I don't think the, I don't think the Scots watch Doctor Who actually. <laughs> no, I don't think they do. So, uh, so you're complete. You've got immunity then. You're safe. You can walk walk the the up to Edinburgh Castle and. That, that's right. Because I, I don't wear a kilt up in Scotland, but I can yeah walk with immunity. Thank you very much, Mr. Fraser Hines. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. Did you hear the DM's nerdgasm? It was there. It was there. You might just have to listen more carefully. So on to our next section, which has a little bit more to do with the people that were actually there. And we're going to begin with a discussion on glomping, which is a flying crash tackle hug that was banned this year. Hello, and I'm here at the weapons check-in desk. It's quite a cornucopia back there. We have, what do we, I don't know, I can't even identify half those things. No nunchakus, unfortunately, sadly. I mean, what's the weirdest thing that you've got here so far? We haven't had any weird ones here, actually. It's just mostly the metal ones that are strange. We've, we've had at other conventions, we've had someone bring in a deactivated World War II rifle before. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> wow. My, um, I'm actually, my, uh, my fists have been registered as a deadly weapon. Shall I, do I have to surrender those, sir? Do you have to... Well, we'll have to sever them first. Damn, that's the hazard of being such a black belt as I am. <laughs> Yeah, uh, do you know we read in the media about this glomping thing that they had to ban because all the anime fans were jumping on each other in a flying tackle hug? Any issues like that around the convention hall that you know of? Glomping, it used to be a big thing back in the day, but yeah, it's like there is a reason behind it being banned is that a lot of people have fragile costumes and if someone comes up and charges at them, it's going to get damaged. Well, it's, it's only unsolicited glomping that's been banned. Oh, so consental between two adults. Yeah, if, if, it's, if it's consenting, then it's fine. But if someone just spots a character they like and just runs over and crash tackles them, that's not cool. Because I was worried it was going to drive the glomping underground. It was going to start happening in back rooms and things like that. There was going to be kind of like, you know, prohibition, what that did to alcohol. Glomp club. Yeah, glomp club. You don't talk about glomp club. I thought, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, on whole, a good crowd. Everyone's well behaved. Everything's going going well. For, for the most part, yeah. 
everyone's just here to have a good time. Do you have a back room where you break people's knuckles and things like that if they violate the... We don't talk about that. Right. <laughs> That's how you get sent to Glomp Club. <laughs> they put you, they paint a number on your back and you have to glomp each other to death. Thank you very much, sirs. Have a good one. Not a problem. Now I'm out of the loop, but I understand uh, from the media that gomping was, that's more of an anime fan thing, isn't yeah. it? Um, but that was now, that's now officially been banned. Have you been personally affected either by gomping in a negative way or the ban of gomping? You know what? I was actually a victim of gomping just about an hour ago. Oh my God, I'd hug you, but that would be illegal. We have a, a female joker here. Would you be anti-gumping? Probably, yes. I mean, I think I can personally see why maybe they perhaps banned the gumping. Public and service announcement. might feel offended as well if it didn't happen to them. <laughs> see, because I always assumed that the the thing about the glomping would be that, that it would uh, disproportionately impact upon young ladies because I'm sure all the poorly young men are getting less glomped than the young ladies are. Is that was that was that the case? Uh, I don't see many women or young ladies or very revealing costumes getting glumped. It's more like kind of like the creepy men staring, going, can I have a photo? And then that, but it's more the men that definitely do get glumped and carried away. I think most men feel more comfortable hugging another man. Do you think that um, with the ban on glomping, it's just been driven underground, that now people are, uh, you know, glomping behind bike sheds, all that sort of thing? Uh, I think it's actually made people want to do it more. Oh my god, it's just encouraged. It is encouraged. It, no one never really took to it, like, because of the newspapers now. They just probably brought it to light and everyone's like, I'm going to glomp because they told me not to. It's like, uh, it's like um, what is it, you know, the Prohibition America. Now there's going to be a glomping mafia to provide the... Protest, protest it. Organised crime on the increase because of glomping. It's terrible. Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So glomping, there you go. Apparently a big issue, one worthy of banning. Fine. Now, not all of the uh, the cosplayers were um, overgrown children. Some of them were undergrown children. Hello, ma'am. You're the smallest cosplayer we've seen. What is your costume today? Artemis from Young Justice. Ah, and um, what's your impression? I mean, you're a bit you're a bit shorter, so everything looks a bit different from down here. What's your impression of uh, the convention today? It's really good. I'm really excited about meeting everybody I wanted to. Uh, do you have a favourite costume that you've seen? I'm not sure, actually. I really don't know. Can you guess who I am? A radio presenter? Yeah, well... Uh, Nearly there, a balding, middle-aged, paunchy, failed radio presenter would have been, that's how you would have got 100 points. Um, and, yeah, not enough other little kids here, I think. It's all, isn't it strange that all the adults are dressing up and the kids aren't? Isn't that weird? Yeah, all the kids are just dressed up in, yeah, it's geeky t-shirts and all, but still, nothing. They're not trying hard enough. I don't think they are. Thank you very much for speaking to us, ma'am. Now we have another quick one from uh, Jim and Keith out on the second day when they ran across someone dressed as the original Catwoman. Cool. This is Jim here with Keith and we are interviewing Catwoman. And might I say, you make an amazing Catwoman. Thank you so much. What was the inspiration for your costume? Uh, pretty much my friend got me into all the comics and things and then, yeah. So they're here later. There's a Poison Ivy, a Harley Quinn and a Joker and all the other bad guys. Are they all in sort of classic costumes yeah, as opposed to... In, we're not in the new kind of bimboy ones, so all good. Brilliant. That's why we were drawn to you. I'm loving the goggles and the hat, the whip. You, you look smoking. Yay! Keith, did you want to add anything to this? Nothing I can add in public, sorry. Uh, now, speaking of extremely sexy women, here is one of the sexiest ever born. 
the mistress of the dark. And I am here with uh, Ms. Ms. Elvira. Hello, Ms. Elvira. Yes, mistress of the dark. That's me. Uh, yeah, so Ms. would be short for mistress of the dark. You know, it's quite a coincidence because you're the mistress of the dark and I'm the master of when it's just a little bit too gloomy to read comfortably. So we kind of, we cross over in some areas. Oh, do we now? That's your opinion. Well, I mean, um, uh, I, you, the dark is different to the gloom, obviously, but um, we're, we're close. Um, now, uh, horror has changed in the past few years. Vampires aren't exactly what they used to be. How do you feel about the modern vampire? Because you are the world expert. How do you feel about Twilight and things like that? Yeah, I have been around through a lot of uh, different vampire phases, I must say. Um, since I'm like about 150 years old now. Uh, I am not so down with the vampires that sparkle, you know what I'm saying, brother? Uh, yeah, I, I, I more go for the old-fashioned kind that just suck. Uh, uh, Christopher Lee, the back in, back in the day, Bela Lugosi, that kind of thing. Yeah, even Gary Oldman, you know? I mean, uh, that wasn't that back in the day. Well, I guess it is back in the day now, but, uh, and you know, that couple as Dracula was pretty awesome, too, so... Yeah, that's my kind of vampire. Uh, my favorite vampire, I saw a vampire movie once uh, from uh, 1971, I I Italian called Vampiros Lesbos. That was a very, uh, that was my favorite vampire movie. Oh, well, little known fact, all female vampires are lesbians. Yeah. There we go. I'm a bit worried that I might be, uh, and you are the expert, so I should ask, that I might be turning into a wolf man myself because I wake up and, you know, my body's changing. There's hair where there wasn't hair before. Do you have any advice for a burgeoning wolf man? Yeah, I, I think that is uh, also known as puberty, but uh, I guess you're kind of going through it late. Uh, and, uh, you know, I have been known to help many, many a, a young man through puberty over the years, so... If you need any help in that area, just let me know. Just holler. Cool. Uh, I'll get your number and I'll call you whenever I'm, I'm feeling um, strange. Because actually, yeah, when I did see Vampirus Lesbos, I, I, had, I was confused. There was some wolf... I felt like howling at the moon. I didn't quite know what was going on. But that, actually, they were quite... Now that, now that I think about it, those Italian Vampirus Lesbos ladies were quite hairy themselves. But maybe they were vampiric wolf women. Wow, now it's really getting complicated. Vampire wolf women and lesbians, wow. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of building a um, Frankenstein's monster. Could you recommend a good seamstress? Oh, yeah, a seamstress. Let's see. Well, first you've got to get the parts. You've got to get good quality parts. Uh, I've got a couple of body parts for you that I could loan you. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, good. <laughs> I had a Chinese guy, but yeah, that's, you sound more reliable. Yeah, no, I, I, I am a, a broker in body parts. Um, I've got to hang on to my couple of my most popular body parts I can't I really can't give you those but um, yeah the seamstress is important too like ask a, ask a, maybe Tim Burton for you know, Frank and Weenie he's got somebody for you something like that and Elvira has been in almost every possible medium right like there's been comics and games and all sorts of everything do you have a favorite version of Elvira in besides the real Elvira in all the various media that you prefer um, yes, I have been known to be called the queen of all media. Um, let's see, I would say, um, well, famous. I, I really started that with TV and hosting, you know, late night horror movies. So I would, I know TV is so 20th century, but I'm still, I'm kind of my favorite because uh, from hosting all old horror movies back in the day, although, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of fond of animation too, because you don't have to look good. Animation, yes, 
animation, we can all be whatever we want. It's a land of dreams. Um, and uh, you, uh, in your early days, I understand that you met uh, people such as Elvis, uh, Fellini, Cheech and Chong, all sorts of, um, out of those early, early encounters uh, in the pre-Elvira or early Elvira days, are there any favorite memories you have of, of those kind of encounters? Oh, yes, I have many, many favorite memories. Probably can't share them with your audience right now, but... <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, don't go there, no. <laughs> Mistress of the dark, as we heard. There are dark, dark places we shan't go to. Thank you very much, um, Ms. Elvira, and um, I hope that uh, modern horror gets a little better and more worthy of, um, of the Elvira stamp of approval. Thank you, and unpleasant dreams. <laughs> I love that woman. Ah, <sighs> lovely woman. One day we will be married and have a little house on top of the hill with a black picket fence. Okay, so now we're into the last section where we're going to be picking on the DM a bit because he's not here. Yeah, so here's the first one when the DM was uh, interviewing what may be considered to be his arch nemesis, a professional wrestler. I'm here speaking to a wrestler fresh from competition. Hello, sir. How you doing, man? <laughs> Now, um, the, the unusual thing about wrestlers here is, of course, you're in a, a, there's a convention full of out-of-shape nerds, and then here we have a, um, a sportsman who can fight. Is a temptation to flush nerd head down the toilet overwhelming? <laughs> oh, you know, sometimes you, uh, you look at it and you go, well, you know, I probably could, but it's actually nice for once to be somewhere where I'm not the most overdressed person. Like, I'm standing here <laughs> in blue cargo underpants, and there are people that look more far out than me, so it's, it's actually quite nice. That's true, yeah, you fit right in, so there's no, I mean, if, if a furry, oh, I, I want to just choose one and tell you to go and, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, or, or call him yeah. names. You see that really tall skeleton looking thing before, I think it was like 10 feet tall, I think it's probably a bit too big for me, I'm about 5'7", so, might have my number, but one of those small cats I think I could probably take. How do you prepare for a competition in the ring? I mean, first of all, physically, a lot of, what I mean, egg drinks? What do, I have no idea how exercise works. Diet, 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 diet. Um, you know, like, I mean, I'm not the biggest guy in the world, but probably be close to the fittest person here, no offense to everybody else here. But. And, um, and mentally, how do you prepare to get into the ring and face your mortal enemies? Oh, I don't think you really need, there's not too much going into it. You just want to go out there and kick somebody really hard in the face. I mean, like, it's fun. <laughs> What's your wrestling name, sir? I'm actually, I'm the very best Brad Smythe. And he's sympathetic to nerds. He doesn't necessarily want to flush nerd head down the toilet. So you're an you could be an, an inspiration to them, maybe. As long as I don't mess with him, man. Stay out of my way and we'll all be good. You should just tag team, tag team one, get him in the ring. Just like when they're walking past, hey, you're in, you're in, get them up there and, and get them pounded. Them up and just beat them up. Yeah, no, I think, you know, if, if, we can, if we can trick one to getting in the ring, it might be a good idea. It might be a bit of fun. Yeah. All right, well, we'll, we'll we hope to see that later. Thank you, sir. Yeah, you too. You guys have a good, good time, all right? I don't think it's fair that people pick on professional wrestlers for having enormous egos. That's obviously a well-centered young man. Now, on to the next bit of picking on the DM. There were a few people out there with all the expert cosplayers who had a few tips for him about his own outfit. I'm cosplaying as a, a, a balding, paunchy, middle-aged radio presenter. How do you think I'm doing? I think you've got a damn pat, but yeah. the shoes aren't pointy enough. No. Oh, damn. Yeah, it's not... Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought my 32 years of preparation was enough, but evidently I need a few more. Yeah, yeah. You're not... I don't think you put your all into it, really. Tips from as expert cosplayers. That's what you can get going down to Supernova. That tell you things that you wouldn't have thought of necessarily that can really improve your personal costume choice. Because I, I am cosplaying as a, um, uh, as a failed, balding, middle-aged uh, radio presenter. How do you think I'm doing? I think you're doing great. 
someone suggested that perhaps I should grease my um, my balding hair back and grow a, grow a mustache of some kind and get pointy leather shoes. Because that, that was a professional cosplayer's opinion. They really know their stuff. Are there any other tips that you could recommend? I think a bad Hawaiian shirt was never a miss. Uh, yeah, see, I'm missing all these basic things that other people are able to point out. Oh, wonderful. There you go. A Hawaiian shirt and slicked back hair and a pointy little criminal's moustache and the DM would be set. He'd look exactly like how he wants to look. Okay, so we're on to the last interview here and this is my favourite. We have saved the best for last because in this one we get to hear the DM get spanked! Oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Howard Chaikin, a world-renowned comic book artist gave a little bit of time to the dm but um, had no time to put up with any softness or waffling or anything like that so enjoy this one. Oh, hi how are you <laughs> i'm here with a legendary comics personality mr howard chaikin ha- hello mr howard hi how are you why are you calling me mr howard am i a hairdresser what is this i'm trying to be polite sir mr chaikin or sir works for me sir it would be sir from now on that's very nice yes keep it up now i i i wanted to buy one of your comics the other day but I went into the shop and, and they didn't have it on the regular. It was in a plastic bag and was behind the counter. Um, there was some controversy surrounding it. Um, it. Do you wish your comics were easier to come by? No, I'm, if I do an erotic book, it has to be, be sold in such a way that it keeps these out of the hands of people who are not appropriate for the audience. I'm perfectly happy with the material sold in that fashion. The book, the book is an erotic, an erotic comic book. It should not be sold to children. And we learned that uh, eroticism is completely inappropriate for the UK, apparently. And, and Canada as well, apparently, as well. So I'm now in one of the two remaining uh, English language marketplaces for my book. <laughs> uh, how do you feel about the censorship issues in comics these days? Do you, th- do you think we're in a good place um, for people to you know, express creative freedom, or do you feel like it's going backwards? I don't think about it at all. I just get up in the morning, and I go to my desk, and I work. Uh, if, I, if I spent that much time thinking about what other people think, I'd never get out of bed. What you care, what you think about is none of my business. I don't really care. Uh, and uh, uh, Black Kiss is one of the main things we can find in the comic shops at the moment. What other work of yours can people be looking out for? Well, there's the American Flag Collection, which is really, you know, it came out a couple of years ago. It, it publishes work of the 1980s. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of back issue material. Um, I'm... I'm lucky enough to have had a career that's, that's well over 40 years old, so I'm, I've got a lot of material in print. And, uh, and frankly, I want your money and your attention, so please buy everything I've ever done and don't tell anybody else. Or tell a million of your friends, whichever you choose. Have you visited any of the, uh, ha- the local comic book stores? How does the local comic scene shape up? I have, actually. I, was at Pulp, I think I was in Pulp Fiction over off the Rundle Mall, and uh, I thought it was a fabulous store. It was clean, neat, well-made, well-lit, and had really cool stuff. Well-lit, I think it's... cheap date, so I don't get out a lot, you know. Um, and uh, the, the super, has it been exhausting? Because you've been in a few different cities so far for Supernova, right? There's been... Wa- I'm old, but not dead, man. I'm, I'm a very energetic guy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, got a, I've got enough energy for two of you. I'm tired. I've been here for two hours. and I'm no problem, babe. You know, work harder. Um, uh... Kind of lost uh, words? Yes, I... Well, ideally... Ideally, we'd like to prepare for this. It's just... My my mother won't let me buy any of the comics, and now I'm talking to the man himself. You? 32. You still listen to your mother? My mother's dead. I'm the happiest orphan in the world. It's okay. The only other person I have to call sir besides you is my mother. You think I'm going to respond to your idea of comedy? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a straight man for you, pal. 
Uh, that's actually a fair enough point to make, I think. That's, <laughs> that's a very good point to make. Um, uh, are there any? Is there anyone else whose work these days that you do admire in the past I'm that you sit here and come up with an answer to that question off the top of my head? That seems counterintuitive and, and possibly suicidal. Alrighty. Well, uh, uh, is there anything you'd like to say to the world before the we? World? You're defining Adelaide as the world. No. Yeah. All right. To the uh, our one and a half listener. I'm having a wonderful time in Australia. I always feel at home here, and Adelaide is a great town. I'm really glad it's laid out like a grid that as it is, because basically I can walk around everywhere and never get lost. That's a good thing. Hey, thanks, man. Have you cuddled the koala yet? I'm sorry. Have you cuddled I'm the not that guy? I'm not. I don't. I don't play with drop bears. No, no. Ma no manhandling of marsupials. About that stuff. No. If my feeling is as Salvador Dali, to paraphrase Salvador Dali, my favorite animal is a fillet, is is a rhinoceros because it has so many crenellations and of course fillet of sole. In my case, it's a ribeye. So there you go. There we go. We thank, thank you very much, sir. <laughs> Mr. Howard Chaken spanking the DM in public. <laughs> Oh, that's one of my favourite things in the world to listen to. I could hear that over and over again. It was so much fun. But our time has come to a close. More's the pity for this episode of The Role Playing Hour. It has been my very great pleasure to present these uh, interviews for you from Supernova. I am uh, Steve from Bleep. Uh, the Role Playing Hour will be back next week with its regular programming. 